Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. The reason why we define ourselves in in groups, like them versus us, that that kind of mentality, them, you know, like, oh, we would never do that over here in our country, or oh, look at those people over there going through wars, isn't that terrible, but thank God. I always think people classify people into groups because this underlying understanding actually that everyone is the same. Hi, it's Adam Murray here. Thanks for joining me again. You'll notice that I've had a couple of weeks off doing the podcast. I've had a number of things that have taken my attention away from doing it. I've had to have a little break. Back into it now. I'm going to make a little change though in that I'll release every two weeks for the next while so I can be consistent in releasing episodes and keep things going while I focus on a couple of other things that I have going on at the moment as well. My guest for this week is Shahan Drummond. Shahan and I met during my work at Cogent. She's got a startup that we helped her work on. She's been thinking a lot about the filter bubble problem and the echo chamber that we seem to live in. Something that came to light, I guess, for a lot of people and became part of our vernacular after Trump won the election when a lot of people their news feed was telling them that Hillary was going to win and then it was a surprise for a lot of people and we all realised that our news feeds were so personalised for us that we weren't really aware of what other people were thinking or doing. Shahad's been thinking about this for a number of years before that and trying to work out is there a digital solution to this problem. She's an entrepreneur, she's worked in film and marketing and wants to have an impact on the way we all live, improving empathy and, and probably even more importantly helping us to realise our common humanity, like the things that are similar despite our diversity, and the fact that we're going to be facing some very significant problems over the next few years, coming decades. How significant, I guess, is yet to be determined, but they're going to require new ways of thinking and new ways of bringing people together to come together and solve those problems, and that's the kind of thing she wants to help. So thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Shahan Drummond on the subtle disruption of our personalized echo chamber. I always start by asking, where are we and why have you chosen this place? We are in Docklands, in front of the Dockland Library. And I like these places because I used to come here before the library got constructed, built. Yeah. And I used to sit here because it's a place where it's walkable to the city where everyone is, but it's actually where everyone is over there hanging out. But still, a spot where I can sit down and reflect on life <laughs> and people watch yeah. and kind of wonder where everyone's going and, you know, different paths, people going across different paths. And so that's interesting for me. Yeah. You've picked a pretty interesting part of the city that yes. a lot of people don't feel as strongly about. It's, well, they feel strongly about it, but maybe not as affectionate uh-huh. as you've kind of described it there. Yeah. Why do you like this place? I think... I've always had this thing about appreciating 
imperfections, you know, cracks in the pavement, plants growing up on fences. And dog plants for me is like the forgotten child. And for me, it's like, you know, going to a place where people might not appreciate the beauty of being able to actually sit there and not have a lot of people surrounding you and actually appreciate like the water. It's very peaceful, um, a spot where you can actually sit down and take a rest before you go back to the hustle and bustle of the city. So I appreciate that myself. Yeah. And I like the wind. Yeah. I like the cold. You do? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really like this place. And also I think over the couple of years or something, you know, they've done quite a few things here. Yeah. So you can see the traffic coming along and I don't know, I think I often like things that people don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it has massively extended the CBD. Mm-hmm. Just looking back now over your shoulder at at Etihad Stadium and the city buildings, like they seem a long way away. Those buildings, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess it's pretty it's pretty interesting that there are a few public spaces popping up now, and like the park just over here too. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing is watching watching a place transform. So, watching a place where when there weren't anything, so just a couple of buildings over there across the water. And over time, you see buildings getting completed and seeing the place transform and and then seeing people actually discovering this place. For me, um, being at the start of the journey is actually quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, I've always thought that this place was a missed opportunity. You know, I also had a secondary thought, which was that it might... Maybe you can't really plan an awesome city. Like maybe it needs to create itself. Yep. And so there's a certain amount of putting something in place. It might not be the best thing, but at least it's something. And then then people kind of make it and give it its soul and its character over time. Like mm-hmm. that can't be created mm-hmm. on the first day. So maybe, I don't know, what do you think about that? I think... City planners and urban planners, they do a lot of things that people don't realise are there to help you to create the basic, the foundation of, you know, navigating through a city. So 10 years ago, you might have remembered all the city streets were pretty empty because the shops were closed during that time. But also, over the last few years, they've actually done a lot of things, little things to create a more friendly feel in city. Therefore, you can actually go into alleyways and you feel safe. So those things you normal people probably just walk past and they don't really appreciate. But actually, there's like little things like little lines in the streets that you see in the blue stones. It's all there by design. Yeah. And I think you in the city, yes, the people do. It, it's up to the people who could come and flood into a place to make it unique. But at the same time, there's actually little things that designers do to put in place where it kind of guides you through a, through a place, through, yeah. through a public place. Yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. What else do you... You mentioned place that you kind of like things that other people <laughs> don't really like. <laughs> what other things do you like that? Uh, okay, photography. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like film ph- photography much more than, say, digital photography. And it's because I like the imperfection of film photography. So the grains, and a lot of people are like this, you know, people who appreciate old photography, like black and white photography. So the imperfection of, say, light leaking through the camera, you can see the dust on the frames. So I personally prefer that because it shows the photographers more focus on capturing a particular moment. Whereas I think 
now with new technology, a lot of people focus on getting the best camera, best lenses at the top. The, the moment that they capture is not that particularly great yeah. sometimes, but people are so focused on making sure it's high definition, it kind of loses the purpose of taking, taking a beautiful photograph. Yeah. Um, and for me, photographs is about capturing a particular moment, memory. So it doesn't, you don't need to have high-tech cameras to do that. Yeah. This all comes down to skills and also the moment you can actually recognize a particular moment or space that you want to capture. Yeah. So I like that. Photos that are slanted, it's fine with me. <laughs> Some people get really irritated. I'm like, fine. If it's a um, particular moment there, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you've actually, because we, we know each other previously yeah. and we've done some work together, I know that you've done a bit of work in film mm -hmm. as well, quite a bit of film. You studied film? Is that studied right? film. Yeah. Worked in film distribution, film marketing. Yeah. yeah I did yeah. that. <laughs> and... I mean, what attracted you to that and then how did you get out of it or why did you get out of it? Film, okay. I think it's about storytelling. I've always been interested in media because I've always been interested in observing, observing people and studying, I guess, how you communicate different stories. And film, for me, was learning about how you structure things using moving pictures. So it's kind of like photography, but things are moving. And I wanted to study that. I have no idea. I don't know why, but I guess I didn't really appreciate what go, how much it goes into actually building, creating a feature film, for example, or a short film. And to understand, to be able to sit there in the cinema and actually appreciate, say, the mise-en-scene and appreciate the narrative and how people develop that, noticing the things that a lot of people don't notice, for me, was makes the film more interesting for me. And also I did film marketing, and the reason why I like marketing is similar. So for me, it's about understanding psychology of how people work, how do you trigger different types of behaviors for good, hopefully, yeah. solve problems. So the two kind of mesh together, and that's how I got into film yeah. marketing. Something that's been really interesting for me lately is thinking about narrative and thinking about, I guess, concept of myth as well okay. and how myths get applied over and over again they're like archetypal I guess is that the word archetypal to many ways across cultures and across time frames mm -hmm. and yes I yeah I really appreciate that I guess I'm starting to appreciate film in a new way I guess and storytelling in a new way mm -hmm. because of that because of a greater appreciation for what I guess experiencing a story can help me do when I come up against moments in my life and it can help give me a frame of reference for how to navigate mm -hmm. certain situations. Yeah, anyway, that was just a reflection of it. <laughs> how, it, how it, yeah, if you have similar thoughts as well, but I guess I'm trying to bring it back to you know, what you were saying about storytelling and where, where that fits into your, your world now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think looking back, my interest in film photography, it, it's a window into someone else's perspective into well, the world and experience. It's someone else is telling a story about something or someone's life and it kind of transports you to a different place. It's the same thing as if you're reading a book. 
traditional kind of book people might read, might be reading, but if it's not fiction, then obviously you get transport, transported into a different space. And for that particular moment, those few minutes, you actually can forget about where you are and experience life that you, you will never experience. Yeah. So I've always been interested in that because the more that you can do that, the more you can challenge the way that you think. You can challenge the way you can, I guess, learn how one thing can be done in so many different other ways and yeah. therefore trigger you to think about, or oh, actually there are so many other, my opinion or my experience is just the one out of the seven point something billion people and therefore if I approach life understanding that then I will be, I think I become more less judgmental of others and you become more, you know, you approach people and things from the point of view of wanting wanting to understand them rather than to judge them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So for me, so storytelling, simple things like photography, looking at one pitch, one photograph is very powerful because it transports you to a different place, yeah. um, which is kind of where I went with. I guess now, look look back, that's how Refni came about. Yeah. 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 So yeah, let's talk a bit about Refni, which is how we work together. Mm-hmm which is a startup idea mm-hmm. of yours, which we can't talk too much about the specifics <laughs> of, but I think it'd be really interesting to talk about, I guess, where some of those ideas came from. Mm-hmm. Because they do, like hearing you talk about some of those things, like about imperfections and yeah. about capturing an authentic moment mm-hmm. and, yeah, seeing other people's points of view and storytelling and image and, and film <laughs> yeah. as well. Like, it, yeah, I can see how some of those things are starting to weave together. But... Was there, yeah, was there a moment when the idea of Refni came to you? Was there a moment of inspiration or was it more of a creep up? I think it's a creep up and this map, like bang, <laughs> there was this thing. Okay. Um, so actually the, the core purpose of Refni started quite, got triggered when I was like years and years back. So... I think it evolved through my personal life experience. So I grew up in a mixed, culturally mixed household. So my stepdad is South African, Scottish, Irish, South African, and my mom is Chinese. So two of them, when people were going out kicking football, we were sitting around the dinner table watching the news. And you know, my stepdad would have a particular view when it comes to a news on politics. Okay, and my mom would have a totally different view, and we were watching the same thing. So from a very young age, I started thinking, like I would sit there and, and just listen to them and wondered how come these two people sitting in this one household have such a, such a different perspective on things. So I became very interested in news, very interested in the power of information, how that informs our perspectives and how we define ourselves and other people around us. So that led to studies in university and just continuous interest in that area. So Refni basically came about actually as a platform to solve the media bias problem. But I soon realised that the media bias problem is actually such a, is a much bigger thing. And actually, if you look at the me- media economy, how the media industry works globally, that's a very small problem compared to everything else. And over time, we did a lot of prototypes um, and then kind of slowly evolved to what Refni is today. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a long, pro- long, long process. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how, you know, going through that journey of, of getting there, why is that so important to you? Again, I think something that I realised looking back and actually sitting down to say, okay, 
why this idea? There were a number of moments, but one thing I remember was when I was about seven, and this particular moment where you just finished stop raining, okay? And stop I'll, raining. Stop raining. Yeah. yeah very vivid memory. <laughs> <laughs> just stop raining, and I was sitting there as a seven-year-old at my grandma's house, like front of her apartment, and I remember thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I remember thinking about, okay, I want to be an astronaut, and I want to be a designer, architect. And I realized, though, that every single story that I had in my mind was still based on the things I already knew. So no matter how big I dreamed, I always dreamed, like the story always came back to my grandma's courtyard and my grandma's house. And I think as an adult, and I realized what we think is possible is always limited by what we already know. And it was only when I moved to a new country that I saw different ways of people living their lives, like small things like what they had for breakfast, how they traveled to work. I started to realize, oh, actually, the more that you see, the more that you can actually question. You can push, you can really push the boundaries of what you think is possible. I'm not sure if that makes sense. But basically, the realization, if you expose people to more things, more ways of doing things, thinking about the problem in different ways, then you can actually help them to trigger new thinking and push their imagination and therefore how they, what they think is possible. But yeah, that's the, and that's the purpose of Refni. It's actually to spark those kind of new thinking by connecting them with different ideas, different people. Hopefully that will help them um, to be more enriched in the way that they think. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Random. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of random, but like that's that, you know that that vivid memory and also those experiences that you have of living in two places and noticing that. You know, I think some of the most important times of my life have been coming across an idea that is, in many ways, very obvious, but something I would not have typically come across in my normal channels and with normal people hanging around, and then that idea changing, just changing how I see the world and how I see myself and how I almost interpret my history as well. And... Yeah, and that's in memories. Yeah. I think there's a funny question where people ask you, so where you're from and those kind of basic questions. And I think as people travel more and more, they get exposed to different things. Technology allows you to, you know, basically see anything, access anything. Yeah. It's almost like it doesn't really matter. I mean, it doesn't really matter where you're from, really. Yeah. It's we are every single person's personality and identities form through our experiences. So one second an hour of my day on a particular day could have can define me in, in such huge ways than say me living in a particular sea. So those as we collect different experiences, all those things, if we can broaden that, then we can broaden our identity our ways of thinking and I find that quite exciting because yeah, I mean the things I'm thinking about and I guess we've talked about a little bit are we kind most people kind of know now that their social media feed is quite constrained and not a great way to be exposed to new ideas I guess some, some new ideas come in from time to time but it's still in a fairly constrained way and I guess you can even travel that way too you can go to different cities and live in a different place and still constrain that experience to be quite comfortable and familiar 
as well. And by the same, same means, you can be in the same place that you've always been and have totally new things come back to you. Well, how do you that enable that in your life now? Now. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's quite, it's not easy, I guess, because I think without, well, the way that I do it is try to surround myself with different types of people which is, I think, what a lot of people do, right? And try to say yes to things, like new experiences. It is quite difficult. Like, if I think about social media, is that what... Okay. So if I think... I don't... I use different social media tools, but yeah. also at the same time think, thinking, because I don't see what I what I'm missing out I'm not sure how far I'm <laughs> yeah. pushing myself does it make sense yeah. so even if I spend hours going through different like going across different social media channels or ask my friends to recommend me things or go out and collect different pieces of information I'm still always thinking about okay but there's there's me with my two hours of exploring but there's trillions of pieces of information that's being pumped out every single day what am I missing out yeah. and also I find that at the end of the day dealing with people one on one can probably teach me a lot more things at a greater depth and then say navigating through my Facebook I'm not sure if that answered your question yeah no, that's yeah. good thinking about myself as well I think there's a couple of things that I've done in the past accidentally that have helped me one is changing my routine, even in the smallest way, like waking up early. Oh, yeah. For example. Yeah. And doing something, but not just waking up early, but I mean kind of like being in a different place and a different time than what I'm normally there. Mm-hmm. So walking a different way to work or catching a different means of transport can just trigger something little. I can see a group of people that I didn't know that they did that kind of thing every day. I'm like, oh, wow, there's like a whole world that I don't know anything about. Like one of those worlds that I became part of for a while is the cycling world. Like, you know, oh, okay. between like, you know, 5 and 6.30 every morning, there's streets with just, you know, teams of people in Lycra, mm. like <laughs> busting their asses, you know, everywhere. And if you're inside and asleep at that time, you would never even know that that world existed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, that triggered, that reminded me. Being less, I used to plan everything out. So I used to plan... Even if I want to travel somewhere, I plan exactly where I want to be, yeah. the hour kind of thing, because yeah. I'm like, I, I can't miss out on things, right? So I yeah. plan everything out. But then I realized, actually, you know, if you, if you allow yourself to just go with the flow more, for me, I just come across a lot more things randomly. So be open to different type of, you know, arrive at a different city and just kind of navigate through as, as things come. Yeah. Whereas when I was younger, I had to I had to know exactly what I was doing. And but the problem is, you can't then I can't define myself based on the things I already knew. Yeah. Prior to getting there, whereas now it's totally taken me like down the back streets of places which probably wasn't very safe. It's <laughs> only like you met a lot more new people, lot more new people, and experiences that way. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. I I get that as well. Allowing. Accidents to happen. That's probably yeah, a better way yeah, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like uh, planned accidents. <laughs> planned accidents. Like if you think about, I ask people when was the last time you, they discovered something completely new and unexpected. It's almost always, 
oh, I got lost. And therefore, I found this cafe. And at this cafe, I listened to this music that I'd never listened to before. So therefore, that's my new artist. So there's always some sort of unplanned event that, that cuts through your day, that interjects some sort of serendipitous findings. And that's sometimes I think about how do you re recreate that experience in the digital world? Yeah. So can you, can you do that? Create that serendipitous accident thing, accidental discovery, but without annoying people, <laughs> without people thinking I was just a noise. Yeah, it's just yeah. a really terrible accident. Yeah. yeah. Is that how you kind of describe what Refty's wanting to do? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of planned, kind of unplanned, I'm yeah. hoping. I think everything still needs to be worked out because I don't know how to do that yet. You know? But the, I'm fascinated by how you can apply other disciplines into designing online experiences. So designing urban space where people can get lost, but in a, in a pleasant way that is just mm. gets you lost enough for you to be surprised by certain things and then you can go off and find your way again. Yeah. Or like what I just said, like you have an accident and you find new music or new bookshop or new cafe and, and I'm fascinated by it. So the, the question of can you apply that theory into the online space where people, yes, they find things that they already love, but then at the same time come across things just totally quote by accident, yeah. but not not really because yeah. it's designed by somehow through Refni that they will help you will help you discover things that you like, yeah. but don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I got another question to throw at you in that what in that regard of how I discover new things. Mm -hmm. I don't know how this translates to the digital world. Maybe I haven't thought about it, but. Like in that ability, so I started meditating, you know, over the past couple of years, mm -hmm. and I've noticed in that there's been an amazing ability to discover new things in stillness and in moments, and in not getting lost, but in actually being more present with a moment or a thing, and with myself. And at the moment, I guess our online worlds are kind of the opposite of that. Like they're they're kind of about finding the next thing and just continuously like not stopping and pondering on one thing but being distracted, constantly distracting ourselves and that's the currency in a way. Have you thought about that and how that, you know, that, that way of discovering new things might translate to a digital experience as well? Meditation? You mean yeah, that stuff? meditation and, and finding like more particularly meditation as a, or like being, not getting lost but being present as a way to uncover new things. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, for example, at the moment when I read an article, a new article, I usually want to the next article before I've even had a chance to really let it sink in. Mm -hmm. And I guess just speculating about, you know, it's, it might be interesting to have new ideas coming in as well, but there's also an element where I, I think I need to let an idea percolate and sit within me for a while to, for it to become an important part of me. Yeah. Have you thought about that part of our digital experience as well? That's a really good question. Not until this moment. <laughs> I think it comes down to... Actually, I think it comes down to different, different people absorb information in different ways. And I think... I think it's really important to give the users the control of going, always going back to certain things. I'm not sure if this is the right 
I'm just thinking about if the way that I read as well and discover things. Often, sometimes the first time you see something, you might not like it. Okay, it's just like a new piece of music that you hear and you think is terrible. But then over time, if you are re-exposed to it, then you pick up the genius of it or idea. When, when you read something and at the time you might not get it, but over time, somehow it comes back to you and you want to go back to re-read it or something. So I think finding, giving people the control and ease of refining that thing that you discovered before will be quite important. Yeah. Um, but I think, but in terms of being able to be still and like fully absorb information, I think it's actually something that the users need to learn to do. That you can't, you can create the environment, but then in the end, it's still the user who needs to stop and actually appreciate, reflect. I think, unfortunately, the way that the media is working right now is teaching users not to behave in that particular way, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's all sorts of reasons, like the, like I said, the media economy, the way, because the revenue model that the traditional media organizations are operating under, they need to, they are measured by eyeballs, not really for engagement. And I think that that emphasis has taught users to behave in certain way. So read the splashy headlines and to be sensationalized and, and over time you, you need more. As a user you need more to be shocked. A little bit less much about less about quality and what you are learning than than feeling like you are entertained. And I don't know how you can reverse that unless you are already the type of person who, who are there and appreciate the importance of absorbing things and using information to improve yourself rather than just pastime. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if a new model will develop or maybe Refni can be part of that, you know, helping. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I think I saw you post online was about you don't think that traditional media is dying or is there's like a renaissance. What did you mean by that? I mean, technology evolves all the time. Throughout history, it evolves all the time. And people always get caught up when a new thing comes in, the old thing is going to be replaced. So we talk about when the TV came in, people think, oh gosh, the cinema is going to be gone. And just the whole thing kind of evolves. And people always talk about things dying, dinosaur technology, especially in the media sector. And I was talking... You know, when we built Refni, it was focused on the media industry and when we approached advisors and investors, some of them said, oh, but media is such a, it's a dying industry. And I've never really fully believed in that because the media industry is evolving and people are actually consuming more media than ever before, including in the news. And it's just that the media industry is going through a period of major transformation and, and is struggling. So if you are able to be a startup that can help the media industry to evolve, not only through actually really understanding user behavior, but also coming up with a business model that stays sustainable, that's aligned with the mission of, say, educating the public if you're a news organization, it's actually a great opportunity there. I mean, one fact that I learned is 70% of people in the leadership in the Australian media, for example, 
is going to retire in the next decade. So even that's a big challenge. So how do you get qualified people to be in the roles to actually make those changes and think innovatively rather than looking back and trying to be too safe? Yeah. So yeah, I've never really yeah, I never really believed that the media industry is, is dying. Yeah. That's ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean you can see like the reason why the phone you can say is, is part of the media, media industry because that's how people view this, their information these days. So yeah. it's just changing. Yeah. Different players coming in. Um, so you need to think very smart. Think smart. Yeah. And maybe that time where people were skeptical about it is the best time to be coming into it as well. It's exactly. probably where the most opportunity actually lies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to a guy recently about this with the music industry and he got into the music industry just when like Napster was a big thing and like yeah. there was a whole lot of streaming and and now that's totally changing where I think things like Spotify, I mean there's probably people that critique it, but there's a whole lot of, you know, money now flowing back to artists and people are paying for music once again and getting exposed to, I guess, artists that they might not typically be exposed to through tools like that. Yeah, I wanna I guess I've got a few questions. Mm-hmm left to ask you. Um, there's two that I always ask, but I'll, I'll, I've got a couple of others as well. And one of them is about, like, is there, you know, you're talking about ways of, ways of enabling people to come across ideas that they wouldn't typically come across for the purposes of, I guess, expanding their understanding of building their empathy and expanding their ability to think about the world and problems and, and solutions. Like, what's... Is there something, is, do you have a memory of a moment like that for yourself where you come across something and it, maybe it's still having a pretty impact on you today? Yes. So when I came to Australia, it was in the early 90s, Australia was a very different place back then. And it was the first time when I experienced prejudice from people. And before that, I actually, I didn't view... I didn't actually understand the concept of race. I didn't really understand the concept of, you know, when I looked at somebody, I'm like, oh, there's a person. <laughs> and I kind of just got on with it. But then that was the first time when I actually stopped and thought, oh, okay, gosh, you know, people do judge you by the way that you look, based on the things that you eat, based on the things, that you, the way that you talk. And I think that experience at the time was very difficult, but I learned what it felt like to not feel like you belong somewhere. And I guess in the back of my child brain, I decided very stubbornly that if I could do something about it in the future, I would want to work on something that will help, even if it's just one more other person, not to feel that way. So I think it's really important for me to, to do something that helps people to expand their understanding of others who are not the same as them. Um, because I think if you do that, and actually, yes, you grow more empathy for other people, but actually you, you are enriching your own understanding of the world around you. And the more you do that, actually you appreciate more. You can actually learn about other cultures and ways of, ways of problem solving to understand yourself more, your place in the world. So I think that's immensely important. And also I would say that empathy itself is not strong enough. It's Yes, I understand someone who's, you know, who someone else who thinks differently. But what can I do about it? So there has to be. If I was to do it, build a startup, it needs to trigger positive action, yeah. not just empathy, not just sit there and go, "Oh, that's really great. I understand more." But what can I do about it? Can I connect with somebody who can, who can then together solve a problem? You know, can we 
apply that knowledge to, to good. Yeah, that's awesome. If Refni is, you know, really successful, starts to bring about some of the change you're, you're talking about, what, what do you imagine the world might look like? What, I mean, what kind of change, what sort of heaven do you want to help create here? Oh, gosh. I want to be able to connect across borders more easily to work together to solve problems. Um, I want to help people to connect with the right people, people who may think differently to them, but together can form a very effective teams to look at and to, I don't know, come up with solutions, different types of solutions, think, think of, to treat different problems in a different way. And I think this is especially important given that the world is more globalised, problems are more globalised. If you don't understand someone across the world from you who suffers from the same problem as you actually, then how can you actually go and solve those problems? Um, and in order to do, that, to do that, you need to look at things from multi-facet ways. You need to think about it from other people's perspectives. You need to understand how that affects you, like different dots. You have to see the different dots and how they're all interconnected together. And you can't think, I don't think any individual can dream those solutions by themselves. They need to find the right types of people to work together. And I want to build, a, build something that could help to identify those connections, connecting different types of people, different thinking patterns, so they can actually at least attempt to work together at a basic level, just for people to be a little bit more open-minded and to be more interested in things that all people that they might never meet, but they can still appreciate. Yeah, I find that really exciting hearing you talk about that, and particularly around the problem space as well, like bringing people together. Because I think there's going to be some pretty significant problems that we need to address. How significant, I don't know. Like, they could be catastrophic problems. Mm -hmm. They might not get to that level. But we are going to need groups of people coming together that probably typically wouldn't find each other, who have very diverse ways of thinking and experiences and ways of looking at a problem. There's, like, two parts, I feel. One is awareness, so you need to help people to be generally more aware, more aware they are, pro they are problems out there. I think through the mainstream media, you probably we probably only see a handful of key problems, but there are other things that, that drives, has caused the things you see every day, right? Prejudice or climate problems or whatever else. But there's a series of things leading up to that. So general awareness, expose people to that. That's step number one. Second one is then, yeah, so what? So then it's about, okay, so how do we connect different types of people to come together who are interested in solving your problem to work together to solve those problems? Um, so two big goals that there. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be difficult, but interesting. Yeah, really interesting. There's something I've been thinking about a bit too through a podcast that I've been listening to. And he's been talking a lot about, he's, he's kind of, I guess philosophy on life is aim for the highest good that you can to whatever that be, like pick a direction, be open to making small adjustments to that direction over time, applying humility, you know, knowing that you're not going to get it right, but that's okay mm -hmm. because it's more important to start and then go on a path and then correct it as you go. And the third thing is to be honest, honest about what it means to be alive, honest in relationships, to be to talk about things as they come up. 
this thing is, you know, to solve a problem, first of all, you need to be honest about what the problem is and then address it as well. And I wonder if there's a part of what you're doing there that's enabling people, I guess, to get a bit more of an insight into themselves and honesty about themselves and how they view the world in maybe a restricted way and maybe a protective way so that they can find ways to communicate in an honest way with other people as well. Yeah. Have you thought about honesty at all? I don't know. Honesty is just a bit of a word with me at the moment. But. Yeah. I had this realisation um, a few months back. Someone was talking about politics and I won't say too much about politics. And usually when, when something's not going the way that they want, them to, want it to go, for example, maybe people get elected or not elected, people get angry about the results and they kind of deny it or, you know, that kind of spiel. And, and I thought about, it's so important to look at history with your eyes wide open, meaning that regardless of whether something going in a way that you don't want them to go, rather than totally denying what's happening. I don't want to talk politics, so this is kind of broad, <laughs> sorry. Like, you know, people choose to disengage, right? Some, sometimes people go, okay, so I don't like this particular decision, so I'm not going to engage with that at all. I'm just going to go off, do my own little thing. And I always think that, well, no, actually, you should, the first thing is to understand what is happening. and look at reality in all its ugliness and try to understand it. Only if you do that, then you can prevent that from happening in the future. Yeah. And you can come up with the right solution rather than not understanding something and filling in the holes, the misunderstandings with your own imagination. I think that's always the, the worst thing ever. So yes, honesty is really important and just facing truth in the first place to understand something. So and when I spoke about before the importance of understanding rather than judgment, judging things, that's, I think, really critical in anything. Does it yeah, that? it does, yeah. I think having that courage to look at things and not, not look away even though it's difficult and hard to look at. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, that, and that's... Brief, not avert eyes at that moment. It would be easier to because it's uncomfortable or it's not what I Sometimes I think as humans we the reason why we define ourselves in, in groups, you know, like them versus us. That that kind of mentality. Them, you know, like, oh we would never do that over here in our country or uh, oh look at those people over there going through wars, isn't that terrible? But thank God. I always think People classify people into groups because there's underlying understanding actually that everyone is the same. And you say if we were to be drop ourselves into the Middle East, we'd probably behave in the exact same way. And somehow when we say things like all oh, those poor people over there, what, you know, or how terrible these people behave in certain ways, it's kind of denying that underlying that as humans we probably will behave the same way and we're denying that ugly part of ourselves that not really facing the truth but if we actually look at those people in the eyes and actually go actually we're exactly the same and we're we're actually all searching for the same thing which is safety and protecting our loved ones and we just want to get on with our lives 
then we can actually start engaging in conversation and actually look, at, look for solutions. So those kind of things frustrate me, to be honest, because we've spent so much time denying the truth and denying that we're basically all the same, yeah. university all the same. So honesty is super important. Be honest to yourself as a person. Yes. Yeah, I love that. That's, yeah, I, I've had similar thoughts recently as well that, you know, how can I be so sure that I wouldn't act in a terrible way if I was given the same life experience? And, and I think I heard a quote recently, I think it's a I quote that, you know, I am not free until everybody is free. Like, you know, I can't because of that reason, because I am everybody. And if I work, that's what I need to work towards to that point of helping everybody to be liberated and aware and able to do those things that are common to all of us. I've got a couple of questions as we wrap up. First one's about, well, it's about something, so this podcast is called Subtle Disruptors and it's about the subtle disruptions that, that people are making and you're doing one through... I don't know, we haven't even used the term yet, but I guess, you know, trying to pop people's filter bubbles or make them aware of their filter bubbles and the bias that they may be fed through actions that they have and trying to provide alternative experiences. There's something very different to that that you think about, yeah, I want to be part of that one day as well, or I wish somebody would go and change that thing. Is there something that comes to mind, something, something you daydream about or like to be part of? Two things. Well, one slightly, slightly related to Refni. Well, I actually noticed the same thing, so I probably shouldn't say it, but basically immersive experiences with Refni. Yeah. I've always found that quite exciting. Second one is actually, I, I love jet engines. Like, I love uh, yeah. <laughs> aviation stuff. And I don't know why. Like, things, machines get me excited. Yeah. And I've always wanted to learn more about aviation and all that stuff. I'm not sure if there are any problems. I don't know much about it, but that's one area that I love. Yeah, cool. Um, I actually know another one, space. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a theme there. Space, because it's very mysterious. I would love to know more about how the whole thing works. Unfortunately, physics doesn't like me. But <laughs> I like it, but it doesn't like me. So unfortunately, I cannot go there. So it's my second life. I would love to learn more about all that stuff. And I used to joke with my friend, if I had a second life, I, I would really want to go work for NASA. Yeah, Apple, yeah. And, and just learn about the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so two things. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I got a little bit excited about space recently as well, and just the fact that we might be living on Mars in our lifetime and things like that. So. Fascinating. We're in such a small galaxy. There's just so much more potential out yeah. there. Yeah. I'd love to know more. Kind of sometimes I, I wish I was born maybe a thousand years later. <laughs> yeah. So we have all the answers. We might be on Mars or some other random galaxy, but too, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the last question is about a small thing that, a small change that you've made in your own life or a small thing that you do, a little thing that's had an important impact or that sustains you in the way you are. But, you know, it's a small thing that, other people would be interested in I learned something <laughs> a few years back, which is why I resigned from my previous job. I, I think I grew up, had this definition of success in my life. And 
I kind of spent years chasing that definition of success, and I was on the path of doing that. And I realized it was I was my job. Doesn't make sense. So I, I deprioritized my friends, my family, like my friends. Some of them, some of them I didn't even see for like over a year, a couple of years, kind of thing, because I was working. And um, it all came down to me thinking that my worth, my identity, was my work, and I didn't like that. Really want something else to define who I am. So I thought, gee, in order to change that, I'm going to change my career and start from scratch and kind of see whether I could redefine myself and relearn what self-worth is and identity is, those kind of things. And it's been a really liberating experience because I've, I've learned that to understand my own principles, what's important to me as a, as a person, and what defines me as my character and how I choose to align my work and the sense of my purpose in my work with what, what I believe is important. And I think um, that's been the most rewarding experience that I've had as a person because all of a sudden nothing really matters to me. So brands, I mean like work brands, company brands, working for who kind of thing doesn't really doesn't matter to me anymore. Just, you know, I think just that, that self-confidence of knowing, letting go of everything and every starting again and being able to do that and form really great friendships and people networks like such as yourself meeting you I wouldn't have met you if I didn't start my startup so all those things taking a risk changing the way that I see myself was what's the lesson that I've learned thank you very much for the chat Shahan <laughs> thank you so much yeah excited to see where Refni goes couple of years and even Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. The question that Shahan left me pondering was, are there digital solutions to our digitally created problems? And what's what's what are some ways that I can move through and expand my own bubble that I live in without being overwhelmed by the deluge and, and plethora of ways that I can actually do that? If you have thoughts on that or if you'd like to suggest any subtle disruptors that you think I should know about and would like a conversation with, feel free to give me a or send me an email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute in your quest of subtle disruption. Bye for now.